Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. So, I'm a little bit sick, but I'm soldiering on. Is and we're going to make sure to get all of Desi's clearing her throat <laughs> out of the episode. We are not going to make the same mistake we did winter 2017. When I had the flu for like four months, was it? That was crazy. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're, so, look, we're growing. We are. We try. Okay. So, let's, let's thank our patrons. Oh, yeah. yeah. They also try. Yeah. <laughs> this week... Our lovely contributors to our Patreon were Becky, Alexa, Heather, Taylor, Camille, Nanette, Kelly, Jill. Oh, let's also give a shout out to Jill because she is the woman who did that amazing fan art of us. Oh, right. You can check it out on my Instagram. My Instagram is Childlike Empress. And I posted, uh, or I'll just give you, a, a, give your artist page a shout out, Jill Kitok. Mm-hmm. So it's really cute. You should check it out. She nailed it. Okay. Thank you, Jill. And we also had Richard, Rachel, Eileen, Rhiannon, Ashley, Nicole, Chris, Shannon, Juliana, E, Amanda, Amelia, Heather, Carly, and Shayla. Wow. That's yeah, a that's Thanks, a lot guys. this week. Thanks, guys. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene and check it out. Apparently, we're not searchable because we're X fucking rated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to go to the URL. Yeah, so that's that. Um, okay, so should we get right into Let's it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Honestly, I had like two other stories I was going to do this week. I kept changing my mind. Yeah. Uh, they were all movie versus reality. And this one is also a movie versus reality. So basically, I had a first thing I dropped. Then I had a second thing. And then on Friday, some breaking news happened. And that was the death of 92-year-old man named Klaus von Bülow. I think someone posted it on our page. Yeah, they did. Uh, as well. So he died. And I guess... Um, he died of being really fucking old. <laughs> he was 92. I have no idea if he was sick. But Klaus von Bülow was involved in one of the most infamous crimes of the 1980s and in one of the f- first big televised trials. His story became the subject of one of my favorite movies, Reversal of Fortune, starring Glenn Close as Klaus's wife, Sonny von Bülow, Ron Silver as Alan Dershowitz, the villain, (laughs) (laughs) and Jeremy Irons in his Academy Award-winning role as Klaus von Bülow. Have you seen this movie, Rachel? Sadly, no. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Okay. So let's get into the story since I feel like although it was really big during that period, 80s and 90s, it probably is one that a lot of people don't really know today. So first up, I'm going to give a little background on Sonny von Bülow. Sonny Von Bülow was born Martha Sharp Crawford in 1932, and she's from an old-school money family. Her dad was George Crawford, and he was a utilities magnate, and her mom also came from money. Her dad had founded a famous shoe company. Um, at the age of four, Sonny's dad dies, and she inherits $100 million. So she's like a poor little rich girl, like that type of... Do you know what I mean? Like, Wait, $100 million in 1930s money? How? Wait, what year is this? Uh, 1936. So that's a lot of money. She's loaded, Rachel. That's insane. So of course, with that kind of money, she does all the society things. She, you know, has the coming out ball, all that bullshit. Eventually she even marries a prince in 1957. That prince was Prince Alfred von Auersberg. Uh, and he was basically one of those kind of like 
bullshit princess. <laughs> like, I don't think he was like a really big one, but he was just like a pretty much like he played tennis. Like, so he, what do you mean? Like he was a prince of a very small country? I think so. Like, not like top tier prince. He wasn't like, <laughs> you know how people kind of just want to marry a prince and they're like, oh, he's the prince of Luxembourg. Whatever. Yeah, Luxembourg. <laughs> no one's ever heard of him. They're not like, you know, the big three countries where you can get a prince. <laughs> I don't know what those are. Um, but he's basically in the, they, they kind of get married. They move in together and live in Munich and Austria. And they eventually have two children, Ala, who was born in 1958 and Alexander in 1959. Now it's not a great marriage. The marriage ends in divorce in 1965. Basically, Sonny is fucking sick of living in Austria. <laughs> She's tired of her husband fucking around all the time. She's also, in one thing I read, was tired of big game hunting in Africa. <laughs> like, you know what? Imagine that being one of your bored moments. That like, is like the ultimate rich. Yeah. I don't want to shoot lions anymore. I'm tired. It's so boring. Um, and she also really wanted to move back to the U.S. and raise her kids in New York. So... During the end of her marriage, she met a man named Klaus von Bülow. She gets divorced. She she basically is so rich, she has to give the the prince a settlement when they divorce. That's what? how loaded she is. She's richer than the prince? Yeah. So she gets... Because a lot of those princes are broke. <laughs> they really? just have the title. Yeah. I think a lot of those princes don't have tons of money. I'm going to have to do some research yeah. on this. Those That's are the ones you can get to marry you okay if you have any money duly noted so he gets basically like a million bucks and some houses in the settlement so at that point she marries this man klaus von bulow okay so now i'm gonna get into a little of klaus's background klaus von bulow is born klaus Cecil borberg in copenhagen in 1926 his mom was like considered to be a great beauty who um always had like strong friendships with men throughout her life her father, um, his father was a drama critic who also greatly admired the Germans, <laughs> even after they occupied Denmark. I was going to say II. which pe- time period. Uh, according to Klaus about his dad, he gave a good name to a bad cause. <laughs> he dined with the wrong people. Yikes! So he's kind of a Nazi sympathizer, basically. Yeah. Rachel. He uh, was actually arrested after the war for being a collaborator and sentenced to four years in prison. I don't have to tell, probably tell you that, but his parents got divorced <laughs> during oh, that Oh, so period. the mom wasn't a Nazi. No. Also, sort of an interesting thing. He starts going by his mom's last name, Bulow, and he adds the Vaughn as a young adult because to sound it more fancy. snooty. Yeah, so <laughs> that's not even his real name. At the age of 16, he goes to Cambridge University to study law, and he eventually works as a barrister in London where he had moved with his mother. Now, his mother and him lived... In the same apartment, he lived with her until she died. They bought one of the biggest and most fancy apartments in London in Belgrave Square. The The apartment could dine up to 200 people with ease and slept three with difficulty. I don't know what that means. I guess it wasn't a comfortable place, but it had a big entertainment area. Before gambling became legal in London, he rented it out to his friend who uh, had private gambling parties. He also was friends with Gambling's Lord- legal in London? I guess it is now. Was it not always? Okay. Will our British uh, listeners please write us in? This is, I'm just reading something I read. Okay. That's all. Uh, I have no stake in this. (laughs) (laughs) He also was friends with Lord Lucan. Did you ever hear that? Lord Lucan was a man who murdered his children's nanny and mistaken, he had mistaken that he thought it was his wife and he murdered the nanny. Yeah. I actually heard a podcast on that story recently. I can't remember what it was, but it's a pretty interesting case if you want to read up on it or find a podcast on it. 
he was like considered to be handsome. Like he's like a relatively Von Bulow. Yeah, Von Bulow. And he was very like always in the right circles, like yeah. the right social circles. So he kind of knew all the people who mattered. He even had an affair with socialite Ann Woodward after she killed her husband. So he's running in some pretty <laughs> murdery circles. Absolutely. Um, I love all these rich murderers. Like, they're just like, we don't care. Just willy-nilly, just offing people. Yeah, just the offing rich. people because you get fucking sad. <laughs> so... In 1959, when he's 33 years old, Von Bulow is hired as the assistant to J. Paul Getty, the oil man who had just uh, moved his headquarters from Los Angeles to London. There's been a lot of speculation as to what exactly Von Bulow did for him and how important he was to J. Paul Getty. Like, was he like a big wig or was he just like an errand boy? Like what, no one really knows what his role was quite, quite honestly, um, but Getty did hate to fly, and Von Bulow was sort of his surrogate. Like, he would fly to places because Getty didn't want to. A friend of Getty's told um, someone that Von Bulow also would arrange parties in his apartment, and that's where John Paul Getty could uh, meet girls. So that was his other duty, I guess. That same year, he starts working for Getty. His mom actually dies. That's uh, 1959. There are a lot of weird rumors about Klaus von Bülow, and I'll touch on a few of them a little bit later, but one of them is that uh, he killed his mom and kept her body in a freezer. That's like the first weird rumor about Klaus. Klaus is like a creepy guy, by the way. Okay. I don't know if it's just where he's from and he has this weird accent, but he also has like a very odd demeanor and like a a sense of humor that is like a little off-putting. Right. I'll tell you some jokes he said later on at the end of the podcast. It's like those people who... You meet and you don't know them really well, and the first thing they say to you is like you, you hope they're being sarcastic because if they're not being sarcastic, they just made some joke about dumping your body into a lake or something. Right, right, yeah, exactly. He does that kind of stuff where it's like, and it like could it, be funny if you knew someone really well, but and it's like it very, doesn't really land. Like they're trying to do edgy humor, but it doesn't right. land. He's just like a weird guy, and okay. I feel like that is a lot of why this case became so intriguing right it's like he didn't change his demeanor at all when he goes on trial eventually like i mean like it says a lot like it's never a good thing when you're the type of person who would have a rumor about them that you kept your mom's body in the freezer right. and all of his other rumors are equally que- creepy it's around this time he meets um sunny and she's still married to prince von Arsberg. At that time, uh, he and Sonny get married in June of 1966, which is like 13 months after her divorce is final. And he leaves his position with J. Paul Getty in London, eventually moving back to the United States to live with Sonny. Uh, This job uh, was not like a high-paying job. He only earned $20,000 a year, which I guess is a pretty good salary, but it's not like... So what was this rich girl doing with him then? Uh... I have no idea. I guess he was just a charmer. <laughs> She's like, I've dated princes. Yeah. I've dated rich guys. I want the guy who stores his mom's body right. in the freezer. Uh, he does speak affectionately of his time with Mr. Getty, uh, but obviously the the real money was leaving with a millionaire heiress uh, and going back to the U.S. So some of the other dark room rumors about uh, Klaus that circulated were that he was a page boy at Herman Garing's wedding, that he was a necrophilia or necrophiliac. Uh, I mentioned that he killed his mom and kept her body on ice, <laughs> and that he was also involved in international espionage. So 
I mean, those are all kind of, one of those rumors would be like pretty great for anyone to have about them. Yeah. Uh, he he um, always has an explanation for why each rumor took off. Uh, so he says the necrophilia one was pinned on him in 1949 as a joke on Capri by Fiat owner Gianni Agnelli and Prince Dado. He said, like dirt, it's stuck. So he doesn't seem too upset about well, the Well, I need the explanation. What was the joke? I guess that he fucked a dead body. No, I know. I, I guess, get that. But how? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, you know, when you're fucking your mom, incest is the least of your problems. Right. So when you're fucking your dead mom. Is it the necrophilia? Is it even incest anymore once it's just a body? Right. <laughs> Which we don't is, know. Right. Tell us, Klaus. Oh, you can't anymore. You're dead. Ooh. So the Von Bulos are married and then they move back to New York. They get a huge fucking apartment with 14 rooms on Fifth Avenue, of course, right on Central Park. Um, they eventually moved to Newport, Rhode Island, which is a very fucking rich people place to live. And they, uh, oh, I've been to Newport a bunch of times, by the way. Really? Did I tell you guys the story about when I went to Newport, Rhode Island to the farm where Jackie O was raised? Yes, you did. With the donkey dick? Yes, you did. Okay. We'll go find that episode for the donkey dick story. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, so Newport, Rhode Island, it has these like insane mansions that if you go there you can tour them it's like the really? vanderbelts the rockefellers like that type of level of money have these massive mansions with like gold whatever painted ceilings like it was michelangelo like they're like museums and you can right. go tour them they're on these massive cliffs looking down at the ocean all oh, these people have way too much money yeah it's insane and i loved it i loved going to these houses though because they're just crazy right so they're they're like homes you can now tour but i guess people still live there um so they buy a house up there and basically start living there they have a daughter named kosama in 1967 and they really become a social destination up there like they're constantly throwing big rich bitch parties um but with all as with all stupid rich marriages things begin to sour Klaus becomes bored since he doesn't work. He's basically just like a kept man, and he starts getting bored. Uh, there are rumors that Sonny starts becoming a, sort of a pill addict at this time, another classic rich person activity, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the bored rich housewife. Like, what just, else are you going to do? This is such a cliche, like I mean, all of this. It's a total cliche. On top of that, Klaus begins having an affair with a soap opera actress named Alexandra Isles. So by the end of the 1970s, their marriage is not great, but as a lot of folks do, especially in that kind of high society, they stick together and they keep their little affairs like on the DL, like they both know what's going on. Um, But they eventually start even publicly speaking about the possibility of divorce. And Klaus mentions to Alexandra the possibility of marriage once that divorce happens. In mid-1979, Alexandra gives Klaus basically an ultimatum that she wants him to be divorced in around six months. This leads us to late 1979. And just as an FYI, if Sonny were to die, Klaus would receive both Clarendon court, which is the name of the Newport beat on the Newport house and fit the fifth Avenue apartment as well as around $14 million. Holy shit. So it's a pretty good deal on December 26, 1979, Sonny Von Bulow is taken to the hospital unconscious. Klaus had called her doctor, who arrived at basically just in the nick of time to save her life. In later court testimony, their maid, a German woman named Maria Schralhammer, <laughs> sorry, 
don't know why that made me laugh because <laughs> it's like a very German sounding thing. Butterya Schrollheimer. <laughs> she testifies that around that time when she told Klaus that Sonny seemed sick, he uh, and she was basically saying, "You need to call a doctor. Your wife's fucking sick." He kind of ignored her until eventually relenting and making the call. Uh, Sonny is taken to the hospital eventually, but slips into a coma there, but is revived from the coma. She is diagnosed at the hospital as being hypoglycemic, and she's advised to stay away from having a diet that includes too much sugar, alcohol, and barbiturates. Boo. <laughs> I love the specific addition of barbiturates. Right. Which, um, in April of 1980, she has another spell where she gets dizzy and incoherent, and she's once again advised to, like, hey, lay off the pills, booze, and sugar, bitch. So about a year later... The evening of December 20th, 1980, Sunny eats a big, huge ice cream sundae after dinner. Ooh. I know. I thought of you with the banana split. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I got a trademark now. Yeah. Uh, then she watches a movie with her family. Um, her children are there visiting for, I guess it's around Christmas time. At some point, Alexander takes her up to bed. And according to his later testimony, she tells him that she had not taken any drugs. <laughs> Which I find to be like a weird thing to just say randomly, yeah, or to even ask, right? right. Like, uh, but anyways, so maybe there was some things they were worried about that night. The next morning, Klaus uh, calls or yells for Alexander, and he Alexander enters the room. He, Klaus has found Sunny unconscious on the marble bathroom floor. She is rushed to the hospital, but by this time uh, she had severe brain damage because no one knows how long she was sitting there or lying there. And she's basically declared to be in a permanent vegetative state at this point. Obviously, this is a devastating moment for the family. This, combined with the incident that had happened a year earlier, made the von Ausberg children uh, very suspicious that something was not right here and that possibly foul play was involved. Adding to their suspicion was... um, Sonny's maid, Maria Schrollhammer, who revealed that in February of 1980, she had discovered a little black bag in their New York City apartment that was filled with a vial of drugs. She would also later testify that in November, a month before the second coma happened, she saw that bag with a vial labeled insulin and needles. Now, the bag was apparently taken to Newport on December 19th when the family went to Clarendon Court for Christmas. Schrallheimer claims that she had wanted to go with the family and that although Sonny uh, agreed to her coming along, Klaus vetoed the idea that she should come. He was basically like, no, I don't want you here. Uh, So she wasn't in in Newport when Sonny uh, went into her coma. The children of Sonny hired a private investigator at that point who recovered the black bag from a closet in the Clarendon Courthouse that had a needle that contained traces of insulin on the outer edges. They take this evidence to Rhode Island prosecutors, present the case to a grand jury, and in uh, July of 1981, they return an indictment, and Klaus was charged with two counts of attempted murder. Holy shit. So the trial was almost immediately like a big thing. It's, It's one of the first trials that was ever allowed to have a video camera in the courtroom, and uh, this is the days of, you know, there was only three major broadcast news networks, but there was CNN and had just started. So CNN basically like took this case and ran with it because the evening news, basically all you're getting is the nightly recap at the end of the day. But even those were like big hits. Like people wanted to know what fucking happened in this trial because it really has a lot of elements. Right. You know, it has like the rich people. It's sensational. 
there's a mistress, there's like, you know, just whatever. It's like dynasty, whatever, but real life. So tests on Sunny revealed that she had low blood sugar and a high insulin level. And that in conjunction with the black bag and the contents of um, the insulin, the prosecution argued that Klaus had tried to kill her with an insulin injection in both December of 1979 and December of 1980. Klaus actually claimed that she injected herself an insulin in order to diet. Did now, she have, so she didn't have like diabetes? No, she didn't have diabetes. It was just happened. There just was insulin. She now. had hypoglycemia, which is like the opposite almost or, or something like it's not, you wouldn't use insulin to treat it. I did look up whether people use insulin for dieting. So now my Google search history is very odd. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, cause I thought it sounded weird. Like why would you use insulin? Cause I, I've heard of people worried about weight gain, stopping insulin injections to the detriment of their health, like, because right. it has a lot of calories, I guess, or, or, or whatever. But there were some studies I found that people took insulin to lose weight because it suppresses your appetite. And it's obviously very dangerous yeah, thing to do, don't do to that. fuck up with your, yeah, I'm not encouraging it at all. <laughs> so it is possible. Cause when I heard that she was using it to diet, it seemed weird to me. So I did look it up. So I'm not saying Sunny was doing that, but it isn't like out of the realm of possibility. So the star of the real, the star of the first trial was basically that maid Maria. She's very loyal to Sunny so much. And so, so that when she was under oath, the prosecution or the defense asked her about Sunny's facelift. And she basically said, I promised Mrs. Von Bula that I would never talk about what what she told me I shouldn't talk that about. That is a good friend. <laughs> that is a really good friend. So, uh, but she really lays into Klaus on the stand. Well, she, she talks about the black bag with the insulin. She told Klaus that Sonny was sick and yeah. that he brushed off taking her to the hospital. Yeah, she doesn't like him. Uh, she said when she found the insulin initially, she said, and I said, insulin? For what insulin? <laughs> like she's a Jewish grandmother. Uh, she was like very bristling. And that statement when she said that was like, oh, like the right, courtroom right, right. was literally like whatever. Now it got even seedier uh, because Klaus's mistress was called onto the stand to testify. Oh boy. Uh, the prosecution called the other woman to the stand. Alexandra Isles, and she uh, said that she hated the term mistress, but admitted to being uh, Von Bulow's lover. She said, I'm his hypothetical fiance. Right. Uh, she testified, uh, it was it was said that she testified with all the drama that of a soap actor actress, like that, that we oh, would expect, man. right? So in her testimony, she said, he said that he loved me and I loved him. Uh, she said that they discussed marriage and that when she heard he was under investigation for attempted murder, she thought that initially the charges were a pack of nonsense. That's her quote. The prosecutor at that point said, do you still think it's a pack of nonsense? And she said, no. He Ooh. said, I didn't hear that. She said, I don't know. Do you still love the defendant? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> so it was literally like a scene out of Dynasty or right. something. So that was also like a, oh. Um, and then he stood up and he was like, you bitch. Yeah, exactly. Smack. Um, so obviously Klaus is found guilty on both counts of attempted murder at that point. He is sentenced to 30 years in jail on April 2nd, 1982. 
Now we're going to enter a woman named Andrea Reynolds. She had known the Von Bulos for many years before this incident happened with Sonny. She followed the proceedings on TV and quip, quickly came to the conclusion that Klaus's lawyer was incompetent. Um, she claims that her next move was to write a letter of support to Klaus, which said, in essence, that I couldn't believe he had the makeup of an assassin. Klaus, if you need a shoulder, call me. So she's like, hey, babe. <laughs> she wants to do this case. She's like, DTF. Um, so this is according to Andrea. Uh, once she makes this letter, they kind of uh, meet up in New York because he's on bail. Uh, he like, hasn't uh, he's trying gone to appeal to and whatever. Yet. He hasn't gone to a prison yet. Um, he... She says, before starting an intimate relationship with Klaus, I had to make absolutely sure that Sonny was not in an insulin-induced coma. Wait a minute. She started an in intimate relationship with him or just... This is before... She, this is her words. She's saying before she started an intimate relationship with him, she wanted to make sure that he hadn't done this. So she does her own investigation. Oh, so she's just talking like she wants intimate, like she's going to be his lawyer. No, I mean like fucking. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She's a friend who wants to fuck, but before she fucks, she wants to make sure Klaus didn't try to kill I his wife. I thought she was like a defense attorney. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. She's just a bitch. Um, <laughs> you'll see. You'll okay. see. So this is her statement. Before starting an intimate relationship with Klaus, I had to make absolutely sure that Sonny was not in an insulin-induced coma. I wasn't about to have an affair with a possible murderer, so the first thing that I did was ask Klaus to give me all of Sonny's medical files and all of the medical evidence that he appeared in his trial. The medical jargon was over my head, so I personally hired an endocrinologist and he walked me through the records. You know what, Desi? <laughs> No dick is worth this this amount of investigation. It's too much work. It's too much work. And there's even more work for this dick that you know is medium dick energy. Oh, there's my no God. Way. Uh, another thing that convinced me of Klaus's innocence was a fact underreported by the press. About three weeks before Sunny entered the coma that she never awoke from, she had taken an overdose of aspirin. The ER doctors who performed the lavage on her stomach said the suicide attempt was probably a cry for help. It was Klaus who got her to the hospital quickly that night. Why would he save his wife's life, only to murder her a few weeks later? The next thing I did was make an appointment to see Professor Rosalind Yallo, who had won the Nobel Prize for perfecting the radio blah 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 test. I don't, I don't know how to read that word. That was used <laughs> to convict Klaus. Okay. Professor Yala was categorical. The insulin count of Sonny Von Bula's blood test was completely erroneous. When I asked her when, why she did not come forward to testify, she said, I did not want to sell him my Nobel Prize with the Von Bula Circus. I told her she should be ashamed of herself. I didn't mince my words. I said, you mean that 32-year-old, 32 years imprisonment of an innocent man are more important than a Nobel Prize? That's disgusting. Will you testify now? This bitch was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. And then after they fought a bit, she said, here's five guys who worked under me, and they'll testify to that in the next trial. I gave this information to a brilliant lawyer friend of mine, Professor Alan Dershowitz, who was in charge of Klaus's appeal. Yep, Alan Dershowitz, who had been hilarious, shot in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> who has been hilariously shunned in Martha's Oh, right, Vineyard. right, right. So, yeah. Alan Dershowitz takes on this case, and he takes on with, like, and this is pretty big in the movie, a group of his students all, like, this is a lot of the scenes in the movie. They're, like, poking at the evidence and figuring out how they can basically pull the, the state's case apart. Yeah. One of the lawyers in that room was also Elliot Spitzer, disgraced former uh, AG of New York City. What was his? Oh, he was had, Was he the like, guy within the bathrooms? 
Was he the guy? No, he was the one who had. He he was soliciting sex with sex workers, uh, and I think he had one in particular. But he basically was like a do-good law and order guy who got busted. Right. Whatever. And he's married and all that, so whatever. Beauty should be good for you, and that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Von Bulow is obviously appealing this trial. He has Alan Dershowitz, who is considered a brilliant legal mind at that time. I think he's kind of shit his reputation away at this point. <laughs> but back then, it was a big deal. Uh, he gets the conviction reversed. Oh, my God. And uh, the court orders a new trial. So it worked. Now, one of the interesting people who comes forward in the second trial is Truman Capote. Oh. And he testifies uh, basically... He throws fucking Sonny under the bus in a major way, and I'm going to read all of his testimony. He claims that Sonny is the one who told him how to properly do drugs, uh, and they're basically, at this point, if you haven't guessed already, going to basically say that Sonny was a huge drug addict who fucking did it to herself. So here's Truman Capote, what he had to say about Sonny. He basically tells the story about how they met, and then he says, a week later after meeting, I had lunch with her in New York. I mentioned I had to go to the doctor every day to have a vitamin shot. She said, why don't you give the injections to yourself? And I said, I wouldn't have the faintest idea of how to do that. She said, there's nothing to it. I'll teach you. I do it all the time. And that's when we began to have a mutual confidence about the drugs we were taking. 
At the time, I was going to Dr. Max Jacobson, the original Dr. Feelgood. Ostensibly, he was giving me vitamin injections, but actually, they had also had amphetamines in them. One day, was Sunny was trying to show me how to inject myself by giving herself one of my injections. Right away, she said, this is half amphetamine. How do you know, I asked, because I've, given, I've been giving myself amphetamine injections for a long time, she said. You can't say the girl didn't know anything about drugs. Similarly, Sunny, Sunny was also really into drinking. She told me so, and since my mother was an alcoholic, I'm intensely sensitive to subtle little things that are different between just drinking and being an alcoholic. Sunny had a compulsion. When she started drinking, she just went on, whether she wanted to drink or not. The day we talked about drugs, Sunny said she had never liked cocaine and that she had only taken it a few times. However, there was something she did like. She called it a roller coaster. <laughs> As she explained to me, it was Demerol mixed with amphetamines. She didn't tell me where to go get the drugs. She said she, said she had been doing it for several years and she liked it better than anything she had ever done. <laughs> Dude. She also talked about grinding down quaaludes and mixing them with distilled water and amphetamines. So Sunny. <laughs> I know. It's like the most... If you Look, nothing gets me more excited than hearing about quaaludes. quaaludes. I fucking love... I've never taken quaaludes, obviously, but I want to do quaaludes so bad and just fucking do it. I don't know. She also tells Truman about a book called Recreational Drugs. He tries to find it several times in bookstores and can't. She basically uh, sends him a copy of the book in paperback. It lists every drug you can think of and describes what each one does for you and the maximum dose you can take safely. It's just like a little hand guide for being uh, a drug addict, I guess, safely. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, so he gets this book. Uh, he basically, that's like their last interaction. Like, he's, wow. That's like the last thing he gets from her right. is this book, Recreational Drug, about yeah. recreational drugs. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy to have Truman Capote testifying yeah. to all of this. And he didn't do it during the first trial, I think. But then at this point, he's like, I have to stand up for Klaus for some reason. Interesting. They have other uh, evidence. They um, have all this evidence, addition to Capote's testimony that she was an avid drug and alcohol abuser. The question the credibility of the maid and they question the science behind the, si the high insulin levels. They even have a testimony from someone that the hypodermic needle that was tainted with insulin only had it on the outside which means that it was dipped in the insulin but not injected because if it was injected into the flesh, it would be wiped clean when it's pulled out. So the fact right. that it still had it on the outside was sort of inconsistent with what would have happened if she was injected. Did they know for sure that she died of an insulin overdose? No. So they also submitted the evidence of her um, aspirin overdose, which was not in the first trial. I mean, it does seem like his first trial, he did have an incompetent lawyer. Like yeah. whether or not you believe his guilt or innocent, the lawyer seemed to not do a very good job That's defending what I'm him. Saying is like there wasn't any report on how she died. Uh, well. Initially, I think that that's what they thought, but in this trial, the expert for the prosecution, actually, his name is George Cahill, I think he was like a medical examiner, he said that he finally admits to the fact that he can't be 100% sure the coma was caused by an insulin overdose. So that was also like a big, you know... Reveal. Ah, yeah, big right. reveal. Now... I did mention uh, that Andrea Alexandra Isles did testify, so she was sort of the strongest prosecution witness because she did reiterate that she thought that Klaus had not called right away when she like when he found her. Um, he kind of this waited it out a bit. No, this is the mistress. Okay. The soap opera. So that was sort of the one witness they had that still had the good evidence against Klaus, but that was also no, kind of. I thought the soap opera actress was 
uh, on his side? No. Remember, she the had mistress? the big she had the big moment where she's like, I don't believe him anymore. Oh, right, right, right. right. Uh, so she comes back and basically does the same thing. Andrea Reynolds obviously hates this bitch because yeah. she's the new girlfriend. So she starts um, speaking um, about Andrea like to the press outside. I mean, Alexandra to the press outside. She says at some point, they have been told Klaus was consumed by so much passion he was willing to kill his wife and get her money so that he could marry Alexandra Isles. But in real life, two days after the end of the first trial, he and I fell in love with each other. <laughs> Girl, listen to that sentence back. Right. So, uh, I mean, she just bears her claws and literally is going after Alexandra all the time in the press. Uh, she's basically like <laughs> hanging out in the CNN truck, like she's where they have the girl. remote. She's like that bitch who's like trying to control the narrative of like, imagine fighting over Klaus von Bülow. It's just insane. It's insane on its face. But all of this defense works. In 1985, after the second trial, Bulow is found not guilty on all charges. Wow. So a complete turnaround. Now, Alan Dershowitz says in his book about the case, after the fact, like there's another book, uh, obviously Reversal for a Fortune is the book Alan wrote about yeah. this case. He writes another book about whatever his trial experience. In that book, he talks about Klaus having a dinner party after he's found not guilty. Dershowitz claims that he didn't want to go to the party if it was a victory party, but he would go if it was just kind of like a dinner party unrelated to celebrating the victory. Obviously, a woman is still in a coma or in a vegetative state. Is she? So she didn't die. No, she's in a permanent vegetative she's, state at this point. Still, um, that's what I'm saying. They're still keeping her alive. They're still keeping her alive at this point. Now, one of the people who attends this party, according to Alan Dershowitz, is Norman Mailer. He said that at the party, Norman Mailer at some point grabs his wife um, because Dershowitz is there explaining all the evidence and why why Bulo uh, did not murder his wife and da 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 and how the case would happen. At some point, Mailer grabs his wife's arm and gets out of the, uh, pulls her out of the house, and he says to her, "Let's get out of here. I think this guy is innocent. I thought we were going to be having dinner with a man who actually tried to kill his wife. This what? is boring." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's iconic. That's a crazy. That is like I thought it was going to be interesting, but right. now that I, I mean, I think Klaus is still kind of interesting. But whatever. Norman Mailer's lost. As I mentioned before. Uh, this trial was a national obsession. Yeah. Like, it was uh, the first court case that was televised, and more than 70 hours of it were broadcast on CNN. So, like, this is, like, on People magazine covers every week. Like, right. It's, like, a tabloid sensation up there with, like, the Scarsdale diet, like, that yeah. kind of thing, uh, even though it's not really talked about as much today. So, a little bit more about Andrea Reynolds, because she's definitely an interesting character. Okay. She um, is played by Christine Baranski in the re movie Reversal One of my of favorite actresses. <laughs> so you can imagine the type of character this woman is. You know is. what? You didn't e Before you even said <laughs> Chris that she's played by Christine Baranski, I was like, oh, this is totally a Christine Baranski <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's that type of woman. Like, right. So she, when she met Klaus, she was actually married to a TV producer named Sheldon. And she basically left her husband for her for Klaus, but she claimed that they were already unhappy, da-da-da-da, like whatever. She's often described as being very pretentious. She she also claims to be a countess, which is like classic pretentious right. bitch. Like Countess Luann. Right. But she's kind of like a little bit gruff. And like as you can tell with that thing with the mistress, the other mistress, she's like Fuck a little you. bit like a fucking foul-mouthed uh whatever shit stirrer. So 
One of Klaus's friends said about her, look, six years ago before all this happened, Klaus wouldn't have had any time for Andrea Reynolds. So she kind of gets in because he's in a desperate moment and probably needs people to support him. So she claims to have known him for years, but they didn't really travel in the same high society circles together. So she's like, oh, I already knew him. Yeah, she's kind of like a peripheral person in his life before before the second trial. She had a history of taking up with men who were in their low point and kind of like building them up again. Well, they're easy to get. Right. So, I mean, obviously, most people don't find someone like that a catch, but for Andrea Reynolds, it was like her go-to mark or whatever. Uh, so Klaus and Andrea began living in Sonny's New York apartment that's oh. paid for by her estate. So he got to keep all this Well, shit. he's still married to Sonny. Like, they're not divorced. Right, and she hasn't died, so he hasn't gotten a settlement. Right. So oh he, she's God. just, he's like living off of her estate now. He's living in this uh, apartment in New York with uh, Andrea. Rumors are circulating that she wears Sonny's clothes and jewels out. Oh, my so God. So she's just, like, taken over. She uh, tells Dominic Don in this article, there's a really good Vanity Fair article about Andrea and Klaus that you should check out. There's tons of information I didn't use just because it was about their relationship. But she tells Dominic Don in this article, that's not true. I have far better jewels than Sonny <laughs> Von Bulow ever look, had. <laughs> look, Andrea, I'm sure you have some nice outfits, but let's be let's be real here. I mean, that's I'm sure a pretty... <laughs> I'm sure Sonny Von what's her name? Von Bulow. I'm sure Sonny Von Bulow could afford like the finest jewels. It's such ever. a weird day. Why do you have to be like competitive yeah. about that? I've had fantastic jewels all my life. I wasn't even 20 when I had one of the biggest diamonds around. Be careful what you say about my jewels. I don't want to get robbed again. She did apparently have some oh. robberies in her life. But, but she's like knows? talking about her jewels. Yeah. Um, so she also claims to have been taught by Jean Piaget. Oh, side and note. To be- <laughs> How, like what is the level of wealthy you have to be where you own jewels? Like, people, I'm, I'm always like, oh, that person had, like, whenever there's, like, a robbery, like, and they stole her jewels, like. Right. Like, if you have $80,000 to spend on earrings, that's, like, next level. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? $1,000 is a lot for earrings. Yeah, that's like, a lot. Yeah. So she also claims she's the executor of the Sherlock Holmes estate. And I just, I mean, she's making all these lies. I don't even know what they mean. So it's like, I guess they're supposed to be prestigious. <laughs> uh, she also really takes credit for orchestrating uh, Klaus's appeal and second trial and him getting off of... Well, I will give her that. Yeah, she did pretty much do that. Um, she even went so far as when she was doing that little investigation, she took all the drugs that supposedly Sunny Stop was taken it. and then Stop tested it. herself to like... She used herself as a guinea pig, basically, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> thing to do as i mentioned she was always on cnn and people described her style as like being feminine but kind of rough language right um she even started slamming sunny's children Allah and alex in the press yeah uh she would say sort of shady things like everyone who ever went to xenon knows all about them and then one time she was caught um on 60 minutes sort of accidentally on secret tape or off when she didn't think she was being recorded referring to Alexander as an asshole. So she has some mysterious violent stuff in her past as well. Dominic Dunn actually asked her in this article, is it true that you shot your first husband? Stop it. And she says, absolutely not. That's a pretty circulated story about you, Andrea. It wasn't my first husband. It was my second (laughs) husband. (laughs) That's an iconic correction. That's fucking amazing. And I don't, shoot him he shot himself then i left him i'm the one who saved him not the one who shot him who knows andrea who knows 
So she also claims to be on excellent terms with all of her husbands. Except for the one who sh- but she the shot. The that Dominic Dunn spoke with did not share her opinion. This is Sheldon Reynolds, the man she left for um, Klaus. He said, if Klaus has to marry Andrea, he'll wish he had been convicted. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So... This woman's quite a character. I'm going to get into something a little bit later with her, but let's just kind of uh, give the aftermath of all of this stuff. Sonny and Klaus do eventually divorce in 1988. How? I have no idea. Maybe someone's the executive of her estate at this point. Maybe her children are, and they could sign documents. Right. Or maybe he wants to do it Yeah. at that point. He also relinquishes any rights he has to the estate because Sonny's mother was threatening to disinherit his daughter, Cosima, from the millions of dollars that she would have gotten. So he kind of did that for his daughter. They're very close, by the way. She basically stood by him through all of this, which is kind of like a tough position, like your dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like The other two kids were just obviously on Sonny's side because right. Klaus was not their father. But she definitely was But their more, child they had together. Yeah, it was like a little more in between for her. Now, Sonny, as I mentioned, was in a vegetative state in this permanent coma. She was in a guarded room at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. She basically still was living this life of luxury. She had um, porthole sheets, which are like some of the most expensive things you can buy. Her hair and nails were manicured on the reg, probably wow. more than you and I get them done. Right. Um, she had paintings from her Fifth Avenue apartment inside her you know, a hospital room, which I'm sure were very expensive oil paintings. She got everything top of the line, like skin cream put on her face daily, obviously physical therapy, dental care, like nothing was like left untouched. She always had fresh flowers and music playing in her uh, bedroom. So, I mean, she was not like just put away to die. Uh, she did eventually die on December 6, 2008 after 20 years being in a permanent vegetative state. Um, and then obviously there was a big memorial uh, service attended by all of her children in the same uh, church where her and Klaus were married. Now, Klaus eventually, you know, him and Andrea break up. That's not a relationship that was destined to last. Right. He moves to London and he basically starts working in art and theater, like being a critic. But he is also a social fucking butterfly in fact he was voted the 46th most invited party guest in london by tatler magazine his daughter also moves to london and she becomes like a A legit a legit countess uh as well so they're both in london living it up one little sad fact is that the father of Allah and alexandra prince von alsberg he is also he's in a car accident in 1983 that leads him to being in an irreversible coma. And he dies in 1992 after almost 10 years in a coma as well. Isn't that fucking wild? That is wild. So um, now (laughs) Andrea, she kind of has a sad end. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. She and Klaus end their relationship. She eventually kind of loses all her money and she opens up a and b called Livingston Manor Estate. Now, the author of one of the research things I had was a Reddit thread. He found a really hilarious petty email exchange between Andrea and an unsatisfied guest at her B&B. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really long 
email exchange that's back and forth. But I just want to read to you the initial response um, from Andrea to the unhappy guest. And basically she writes this email because they leave a message in the guest book. You know how B&Bs have right. those guest books? They leave like a nasty little note in the guest book. <laughs> and she sends them this email. First of all, I have like a new favorite type of person. And that's business owners who don't fucking care about right. their clients or like their customers. <laughs> like there's that one uh, tweet I saw. There, like I feel like I saw this tweet not too long ago. It was like from a restaurant owner and the 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 uh, the the patron of the restaurant wanted to order like asked for Parmesan cheese for their fish dish, uh-huh. and the restaurant wouldn't give him Parmesan cheese because they're like you don't eat cheese with fish, <laughs> and he's like I want Parmesan cheese. They're like no, you don't eat cheese with fish. We're not giving you Parmesan cheese. So. The guy, the patron of the restaurant, left a nasty Yelp review, and then the owner of the restaurant (laughs) (laughs) replied to the Yelp review and said, I remember you. You wanted Parmesan cheese with fish, (laughs) and we don't do that. Like, this is an Italian restaurant. How dare you? I love it. It was just so, it was so unhinged and so over the top. I just, anyway, so this is the email from Andrea. Our housekeepers found a key in your room after your departure. If you wish it to be mailed to you, kindly email us an address to do so. Thank you for your scribble on a tiny piece of paper you left me. (laughs) I fail to understand why you did not write your comments in the guest book. Oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Which has been available to our guests since we opened in 1991. So it wasn't in the guest book. It was a little scribble of paper they left for them. Okay. It may well be that when you saw the many complimentary comments, you thought your disparaging ones would feel lonesome standing out like a sore thumb. You may have vast experience, your quote, in the B&B business. My vast experience lies in the field of psychology, having been a student of Professor Piaget and Genevieve. She's saying all of this in the email? This is probably why as soon as you called, just after your arrival, I detected in the voice an exasperated, unhappy human being. Stop it. Be, as that, be that as it may, all the guests that weekend were invited, as well as in our number of members left in the den and living room, to join us for cocktails at 7 p.m. at our house and for a post-dinner party in the guest house. You either chose not to come or were too busy being unhappy to pay attention to your surroundings. R.E. a second cup of coffee. My housekeeper remembers very clearly serving you that second cup because you were quite disagreeable to her. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. She signs off. About some service charge that they also complained about. This email goes back and forth, like ten emails between oh her and the husband and the wife. Like gets the in wife there comes too. In. The wife comes in as well. It's just like this hilarious fucking email exchange. This is like Amy's Baking Company, right? Um, so according to a neighbor, towards the end of Andrea's life, she was just, you know smoking a ton and drinking a ton of wine, very confrontational, and you know just kind of like not a pleasant person. She eventually uh, is unable to afford to heat the home, uh, so she would sleep on the kitchen floor with her dogs in front of a gas oven to oh my keep God. warm. Um, her estate is eventually foreclosed on and sold. Um, when she asked when she would be vacating by the new owners, she told them not to worry. She would be dead within a month, and she was. Wow. So she had kind of a sad end. Now, I'm just going to go in a little bit of the movie Reversal of Fortune. Uh, it's directed by Barbette Schroeder. As I said, it stars Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons. Another little interesting tidbit is that um, the book, A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket, they have two characters named Klaus and Sonny Baudelaire. Wait, and those Lemony are... Snicket is the author? Yeah. I thought the char- I thought it was Lemony Snicket. I thought that was the character in the book. I don't think that's the author's real name, but that's the pretense. 
like it's narrated by Lemony Snicket and the author is Lemony Snicket. It's a, his real name is something else. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyways, two of the two of the characters in that book are named after Klaus and Sonny oh. von Bülow. The interesting thing about this movie is that it's narrated by Sonny in a coma. Oh. So Glenn Close narrates the movie while basically the character is in a coma. Yeah. And it's uh, it doesn't really go a lot into their marriage or what happened. It's basically like a, a law, like a legal procedural. Like it's a lot of the law stuff right. with uh, Alan Dershowitz. And I said like all of his group of people trying to poke holes in the state case. It's a really good movie. Um, but as with any sort of movie based on real things, people have fucking problems with it. So basically... Uh, by the way, they do win a civil trial against Klaus, the, the two children of yeah. Sonny. They're really unhappy with the movie. They kind of object to the fact that it sort of paints uh, Sonny as being pathetic and self-destructive. Like, that's their major complaint about the movie, that it does kind of take up that drug addict, addicted to pain pill, and just kind of a sad wife um, you know what I mean? They, they didn't don't like the. They don't it. like that. Dershowitz is pretty harsh to these people complaining about the movie. He claims that um, he's sick of the stepchildren's uh, Klaus's stepchildren's crocodile tears. Whoa! That they made the decision to bring this case and publicize it, and to hire private people to try and convict Klaus. When you live by the sword, you die by the sword. That's his quote about the fucking Damn. children. I know it's pretty harsh. He, he's, Dershowitz himself is a little bit upset about it as well. He wanted the book to more closely follow, I mean, the movie to more closely follow his book. Like, so he's kind of mad about that. Barbette Schroeder, the director of the movie, um, defends using um, Sonny's voiceover. He's saying they're not making her say anything that was untrue or she wouldn't admit to, because that was another thing, like, how do you know what she's thinking during all of these moments because she's in a coma? Like, do you know what I mean? They're basically... Right. They're basically making up what she's thinking. Dershowitz is also upset about his portrayal as being hot-tempered and not enough of a family man. He says, I don't throw telephones, I don't curse, except very selectively. So basically, Ron Silver says, you know, when you're playing a real-life person, you kind of make your own version of them. It's not like you're doing an exact impression of somebody when you play a real-life person. So... A lot of the people involved in the case, um, including Alexander Isles, who is played by Julie Haggerty in the movie, they all say that they're not going to ever watch the film. According to Dershowitz, he says, they'll see it. They always do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you not see a movie about you, right? Right. You have to do it. You have I to would, do it. I can't. So as I mentioned, Von Bulow is this socialite person before he dies in London. And he's like older at this point. Yeah. I mean, he's... He was kind of old when it started. He was in his 50s. Yeah. So uh, obviously he's still a controversial figure. Like at some parties, there's a lot of people who are appalled and want to walk out because they do believe he's guilty of doing something to Sonny. And then another woman at a party one time after someone walked out, she said, he might look like the devil, but he's such a cozy old thing. And he's so amusing to sit next to at dinner. Have you heard him do his imitation of Queen Victoria? Oh, God. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is like literally the most rich white thing to say. Oh, Now, here's some interesting... I mentioned I was going to go through some of his uh, awkward, dark jokes. Do people know what Queen Victoria sounds like? Wasn't she like... Wait a minute. (laughs) I don't even know what the impression is. I am kind of curious. I was like, wait, didn't she die in like the 1800s? Um, I guess he had some fucking impression. I will give him credit for doing an unusual impression. (laughs) That is a very odd impression. I can almost picture it because he's such a creep. Like and, and and Queen Victoria always looks very sullen 
in whatever portraits of her. You know what I mean? But do we have audio recording uh, of her? I doubt it. Because isn't she <laughs> from saying. like the 1800s? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know what the impression was, though. So here's some jokes, and these were from the movie, but I think they're based on real things he said. Okay. Uh, Klaus von Bülow to the law team. What do you give a wife that had everything? <laughs> Silence. A shot of insulin. <laughs> These are his jokes, okay? Not mine, please. What do you call a fear of insulin? Silence. Claustrophobia. Stop it. <laughs> These are That's jokes, not even Rachel. a good joke. No, they're not good. Uh, at some point in the movie, Alan Dershowitz says to him, you are a very strange man, and Klaus responds, you have no idea. Well, that's never a good response yeah, to that. Yeah, and that is basically true. Like, this guy is a fucking weird guy. And I do think like whatever you think about his guilt or innocence and con- and honestly like when you watch the movie is one of those movies where you're like he's fucking guilty. Cuz he's And so then strange. 10 minutes later you're like, "Oh, he's completely innocent. He didn't do this." Like it's one of those movies where you go back and forth. Right. Um but I do think part of the reason people did think that he was guilty is because he's such a fucking creepy guy. I saw like this one scene, I was watching some scenes from the movie. There's a scene where he goes into a convenience store to get cigarettes. Uh, the woman like looks at the tabloid and he's on the cover of the New York right. Post. He's, she like clocks that it's him and she's like, is there anything else I can get you? And he says, do you have a bottle of insulin? Like, oh. So he like plays, he makes jokes about right. what's happening and he loves his notoriety and he loves making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, he pushes it. And it's almost like, in a way, I almost feel like it makes him seem more innocent. Because I feel like if you were guilty, you wob- probably wouldn't do those things. Like, Well, yeah, and we also, I mean, I don't think someone being, like, having a weird personality makes someone guilty or innocent. Because obviously we know that plenty of killers have this, like, family-friendly facade and this right. goody Well, it's two-shoes. very, um, like, the Memphis Three. Like, they got convicted almost because people were, like, they're suck- freaks. They wear all black. Right. Like, a lot of people did think they were guilty just because they were weird. Or, right. like, outcast kind of weirdos. I always remember one line from <laughs> the, one of those documentaries where they're, like, they wear all black. They're weird. And someone's, like, well, Johnny Cash wears all black. <laughs> like, that was, like, their only, like, reference to, like, being a normal person who wears all black right. or something. It's like fucking go to New York. Right. Like seriously. Uh, so yeah, I do think because he was such a creepy guy, it was very easy to believe that, that he, he did, did it. this. Right. It's a weird uh, case. And I don't really. What do really, you think? I think, I think there's not enough evidence to convict him. And I think there's enough evidence to, to suggest she might've done something. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't really, other than him being in the house with her at the same time, it doesn't seem... I mean, I don't know what the evidence is that's... Well, if she was a chronic or habitual drug user... Right, if that was It's possible true. something happened. I, I just don't know. If she did do that suicide attempt a month or so before, which also I was kind of surprised that you would try to do that with aspirin. Yeah. Like, that seems unusual to me. I, I just don't know. Like, it's certainly, like, a sad story. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, and... The reality is no one really knows except for Sonny what exactly happened. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I do feel like it's, I don't feel like it's unjust that he got found not guilty. I do feel like it's, it's, it's confusing enough to know for sure. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no evidence really. Right. So it is all circumstantial. I, I think he's done things that made him look 
less guilty, like giving up the inheritance or his stake in the, you know, her estate, that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. Right. But yeah, so that's the story. If you want to follow us on Facebook, we have a Facebook group there. You can chat up with other listeners about episodes. People share good crime stories and suggest other crime documentaries and podcasts you can listen to. We also have an Instagram you can follow. We'll post some pictures from this case, and we have tons of pictures from every episode. We already mentioned the Patreon. I guess that's it. Yeah. Right? That's it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. See you Friday.